Uh, two quick, really three quick announcements. I'll be so quick. We were just a smidge long in the first service. We need to make haste here. Um, number one, let me encourage you on your way out of the service here in just uh, 30 or 40 minutes. You'll make your way out on the right side of the lobby out there. You will uh, see Brian Hoffman in a table uh, regarding perspectives. And perspectives is a wonderful missions course that's going to be offered coming up very soon. Uh, with one of our partner ministries here in town. And Brian can talk to you about perspectives. It's really more than just a course on missions. It's really a worldview course. And that's connectivity to missions that's quite wonderful. And so if that's something that you'd be interested in in the new year, and I think it's a great time to take perspectives and make that investment uh, in, in that wonderful opportunity, stop by and see Brian on your way out, and he would love to speak with you about it. And then uh, secondly, we'd love to invite all of you to join us next Sunday right here in the sanctuary, 3 o'clock in the afternoon for Esther Jab's uh, memorial service and celebration of life. And that'll be next Sunday, 3 o'clock. We would love for you to attend and uh, enjoy together uh, honoring and loving Esther and reflecting on her life and uh, the inspiration that it was. Esther's now home with the Lord. And she has arrived where we're all headed for, where we're trying to get to. And uh, surely um, she is in joy unspeakable and full of glory. And what a joy it will be to celebrate her life together next Sunday at 3 o'clock. And then lastly, such a wonderful Christmas season at Northwest Hills, both with our MerryChristmasCorvallis.com and our Christmas Eve services and weekend. They were record-setting in attendance historic, wonderful, and we just want to say one more time a huge thank you to all of you who gave and served and loved and prayed, and really it was a tremendous team effort to make that, uh, really both of those initiatives, it really flowed together, such a wonderful success and a wonderful uh, holiday season. We are still very much enjoying uh, the blessings of all that we experience together uh, at the Christmas season, and to start a new year to start it in a warm fellowship like this morning and studying and seeking truth from the Word of God is a real encouragement. And we pray that it will be a blessing to your life every day as you go forward as God gives us opportunity in 2019. We are starting a brand new series entitled Renew, the story of a new beginning. And really, we are tracking with Nehemiah as he has the opportunity to play a part in renewing the city of Jerusalem and seeing hearts renewed, a temple renewed, a city wall renewed that had been so devastated at the hands of the Babylonians and their fierce leader, Nebuchadnezzar. The ones who were taken captive as that city was destroyed are now being, have been given permission to begin the process of going back home and rebuilding and renewing what had been so devastated. Zerubbabel led the first group back in 538 B.C. Ezra led the second group back in 458 B.C. Zerubbabel went back to rebuild the temple. Ezra back to rebuild the people. He really was the pastor of the renewal. And Nehemiah, the book that we're enjoying so much together now, led a group back in 444 B.C. And his main goal was to rebuild the city walls. Uh, The report came forth from those who had been to see Jerusalem that things are not going well. And it so gripped Nehemiah's heart. That Nehemiah in chapter 2, early in the chapter, is going to make the biggest ask of his life. And we'll see that coming up in another week or two. 
uh, an ass that terrified him, an ass that would uh, require the working of God on a king's heart to make it to happen. And what a story this is. I love the way the book of Nehemiah opens. Nehemiah 1.1 says, These are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hakili. I'll read these for you and to you, and then we'll catch up with our passage this morning. In late autumn, in the month of Keslav, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Hananiah, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some of the other men who had just arrived from Judah. The heartbeat of Judah, the city of Jerusalem. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity. Oh, surely referring to those that had gone with Ezra, 458. And Zerubbabel in 538. How are things going in Jerusalem? Nehemiah inquired. They said to me, verse 3, things are not going well. For those who return to the province of Judah, they are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. It's a powerful phrase that shows up here in these first few verses of Nehemiah. Things are not going well. And last week we talked about what to do when things are not going well. Number one, we must ultimately press into God. And Nehemiah showed us how to do that in verse 4. When I heard this, I sat down. There's the first step of pressing in. I wept. There's the second step. In fact, for days, the third step, I mourned. The fourth step, I fasted. The fifth step, I prayed to God of heaven. And this is what I said. And today we're going to study together this incredible prayer that is recorded for us, that Nehemiah prayed from his heart to the heart of God. There's three things we must do when things aren't going well. We've got to press into God ultimately. Number two, we have to remember that answers and healing takes time. Answers and healings takes time. In an Amazon Prime world, that is hard for us to balance in our heart and mind. Turnarounds take time. Renewals take time. Uh, Issues that happen in our life. Uh, typically don't happen in a day, and often they're not fixed in a day. Although God can do what God wants to do, He is God. But however, my experience has been that things that are of real value take time. I was listening to one of the great mentors of my life, a guy named John Maxwell, the other day on via uh, CD, and he said this, everything of value is uphill always. Everything of value is uphill always. And that is so true. And everything of value that needs to be at times rebuilt or healed takes time. In fact, uh, just a little hint as to where we're going in the weeks ahead. Notice what verse 2 says here, or or the second part of verse 1, in the late autumn. Look with me over in chapter 2. Early the following spring. So we're going to see that what happens here is happening in the late autumn. But it's not going to be until the coming spring that Nehemiah is actually going to have this moment that's going to terrify his heart. He's going to make the biggest ask he's ever made. And he's going to ask for all of his vacation and all of his sick days and all of that time off that would total for three years of service in one big ask. I've got some staff members that's been inspired by this, I promise you. And they come and they ask me. But they don't seem terrified for some reason. I'm like, what's going on? You know, wow, okay, you want to walk from the... North end of Peru to the south, finding an existential experience as a millennial. And you want me to sign off on that? (laughs) Who's leading that class you're responsible for next week? Well, Pastor Mike, we thought you could do both at once. You're a man of great capacity. I said, well, 
I am not that, and I need you here. <laughs> Makes the big ask. It's fascinating. It's so cool. It's so fun. Here's what I want you to know. I wasn't blowing smoke at you when I said answers and healings take time. We start there. That's often missed in this great book. We start in autumn. It's not until spring that he even goes, watch, king. And he makes the biggest request of his life. It's amazing. What do we do when things aren't going well? We press in. We know that answers and healing takes time. You know what else we know? That God is the master of turning messes into messages. And that's exactly what we're going to see him do. Through the work of Zerubbabel, through the work of Ezra, through the work of Nehemiah, everything that is broken down and busted and disgusted in Judah and the heart of it, Jerusalem, is going to get renewed and rebuilt. And it's going to take an enormous amount of time. And we're going to see this, that every step of the way, there's going to be those who are critical and there are going to be, there are going to be those who are tweeting and Facebooking and, and, and casting doubt and casting shadows. And anybody that's trying to do something important is always going to have critics. The only way to never have critics in your life is to simply do this. And just do nothing. For any amount of movement creates friction, doesn't it? And so this is what we do when things aren't going well. We press in, we remember, and we know that God is the ultimate in making messages out of messes. But my heart has been for... Literally, this is not an overstatement, two decades, absolutely gripped by this incredible prayer of Nehemiah. And if there's nothing you get out of this message other than this, let me encourage you to study throughout your life the great prayers of the Bible. For many of them are recorded down for us, and this is just one example of many. And particularly in all of those writings of Paul where he speaks to the church at Philippi and the church at Thessalonica and the church at Ephesus and the church at Colossae, almost in all of those books you will find a prayer there that's recorded where Paul prays for that church and they are so incredibly powerful because they give us really hints. They're almost like a little life coach on prayer as these Saints of old show us how to pray to God and what the components of our prayer should be and the tone of our prayer. And they are incredibly instructional. And, and in many of those prayers, there are these phrases that you can, you can really pull right out. And you know what you can do? You can plug them right into your prayer life. And they are incredibly powerful. For when you are praying the words of Scripture, you are, know you are praying God's will. And it is really helpful and incredibly instructional. And I want you to read this prayer with me that Nehemiah prays. It's just so dear to my heart, and I, I pray it will be yours. He says, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands, listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people Israel. I, I, I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We, we sinned terribly by not obeying the commands and decrees and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Please remember that what you told your servant Moses. 
If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. The people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. Oh, Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. Look at the hint of where we're headed. It is excellent. Early the following spring. See, it's easy to remember that this prayer was prayed in the fall. Early in the following spring in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. I'd never appeared before him sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why are you looking sad? You don't look sick. You must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified. But I replied, and here comes Nehemiah's ask of a lifetime. And we'll look at that together next week. But look, well, I wasn't trying to tease you. I mean, it's just a fact. We can't do it all in one service. But look at that prayer. Did you see that prayer he prayed? Oh, my word. Oh, Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God. Here's what I want to share with you briefly this morning. I want to share with you three components of powerful prayer. Three components of powerful prayer. Number one, I want you to see that Nehemiah's prayer was a prayer of adoration. Before he ever made a request, in fact, I was fascinated as I studied the prayer. And by the way, you study many of the prayers of Scripture, you find that those requests often come way at the end. You look at the Lord's Prayer, we know it as the model prayer, as he's working with his disciples on how to pray. And all of those requests that you see in there, you know, it's really interesting. Only one of them is for, phys- is for a physical need. Give us this day, help me church, give us this day our... You got it. All the other requests besides that one are referring to and hinting upon and touching upon the spiritual needs that one has in their mind, heart, and soul. All of those other requests dealing with spiritual matters, just one for physical. And man, I was so challenged in my own life when I looked at my prayer list and I found so much of what I'm praying about is really in regards to the physical. And how God touched my heart and said, you know, you need to, you need to, you need to work on your percentages a little bit, son. And you need to spend some time praying to me and talking to me about what's going on in your heart and your mind and your soul and your spiritual life. Because if that is right, then you can rest assured of this. You can just know this either way, that I'm going to take care of the what church? The physical. Look at the birds of the air. Look at the flowers of the field. Your heavenly Father cares for those. But you, son, need to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things will be added unto you. And so we come to this prayer and we see, I think, three things. And I, the greatest stress of this past week for me was trying to really focus on what it was that God wanted us to look at in this prayer. Because there's so many things here. And at the end of it, I felt at complete peace before the Lord that it was these three things that he wanted us to see today. And they are the three components of powerful praying. The first component is this. We must always start our prayers with adoring the greatness of our God. 
Before we head off into our requests, before we bring forth our list of what is thrilling our heart or what is breaking our heart, and I assure you that God wants to know all of that, we love the words of the Apostle Peter as he just ministers to our heart when he says, cast all your care upon him for he cares for you. He deeply cares about your heart and your life. He wants to know what you're going through, what's weighing heavy on your heart. And and whether we would categorize them as big things or small things, God wants to hear from you. And as His son or His daughter, He loves you. He cares for you. And He wants you to know that today. But before we get into those cares, before we bring forth our requests, we have to start by adoring God. The greatness of our God. Look how Nehemiah does this. Oh, Lord God of heaven. He first of all says, God, you are great. He gives us three examples here that, that I would just contend that you could pull right out of this passage. You know what you could do? You can plug them right into your prayer life. That as you're maybe walking this afternoon, and I'm thinking as I was driving to church this morning, I thought, boy, today looks like a good day to go for a nice long walk to me. It is so beautiful outside. And as you're walking and you're enjoying the creation that God has given us and what a beautiful place we get to live in, you can walk through that creation. Psalm 119, the heavens declare the glory of God. The earth shows forth His handiwork. And you can say, Lord God, you're a great God. And I can see your greatness in creation. I can see your greatness in your word. I can see your greatness in how you've worked in my life alone and what you've done. And how you've blessed and how you've helped and how you've brought hope. And and I would urge you, I would implore you every day to take time in your prayers to just adore God for who he is. And the first one right out of the gate is simple and it's clear and it's powerful. You know what? He's great. He's a great God. He's He's a mighty God. He's a wonderful God. And I bet if you just sat down with your journal or just a a piece of paper, anything you could find to write on, you just sat down and you just began to reflect upon how great He has been in your life and how good He has been in your life, I bet within just a mere hour you'd be blown away. I bet you could fill that page. How good He has been to you. We have to adore Him. We have to honor Him. We have to make much of Him. We have to lift Him up, not only on Sunday. I want to contend that Sunday is like the sprinkles on top of the icing on top of the cake. And Sunday is a delight. I I so look forward to Sundays to be here with you. but, But it really should be the crescendo of all of our week of walking with our God and praising Him, and honoring Him, and glorifying Him out of our own life every day for the great things He has done in and through us and for us. He says, oh God, you are great. Look what else He says. He says, God, you are awesome. You are the awe-inspiring God. And you know what's amazing? Nehemiah, as he's writing, he really only has the books of Moses to reflect upon up to his life experience. Some prophets that that he's looked at, but primarily driven by those books of Moses. They didn't even have any of the New Testament where all of this is further unpacked for us to sit in and marinate in and be blessed by and enjoy and have categorized and, and synthesized for us. He says, with just what I know at this point. Oh, you are the awe inspiring God. You are the God that led your people across that Red Sea. 
You are the God that gave your people that promised land that we're now going back to rebuild. You're the God who meets needs. You're the God who brings healing. You're the God who heals marriages. You're the God who turns the hearts of rebellious sons and daughters. You're the God who absolutely breaks bondages over employer-employer situations that are absolutely heartbreaking and breathtakingly overwhelming. You're the God that nothing is too hard for you. You're the awe-inspiring God. Nehemiah says, before I get into anything else, I want to just take time at the beginning of my prayer and I just want to adore God for how amazing He is. He is great. He is awesome. And I think my favorite one that he brings forth here, he is the God of unfailing love. He keeps his covenant with his people. I'll do a whole message on that theme right there. See, I almost took that bait. I almost, ah, oh, that's so good. What a theme. He's the God who keeps covenant with his people, the covenant of unfailing love. Love. See, this is one of the realities of who we are in Christ. This is why identity and position in Christ is so important. Because here's what we realize. That the moment we believe in Jesus and the realities of His death, burial, and resurrection come alive in us, guess what happens? At that moment, we are loved with an unfailing love. And He now, the Father, sees us through the person and work of Christ as it's been applied to our life. And there is nothing we can do or not do do that would ever cause him to love us more than he loves us right at this moment. He loves us with an unfailing love. Man, that's rare. You know, honestly, as a human being, hard for me to get my brain around that. Because our love as humans tends to be so conditional, doesn't it? Well, I'll love you if you, what church? Love me. Right. It's the ultimate quid pro quo, right? Yeah. Well, I'll be nice to you if you're nice to me. You're not nice to me. You're harsh with me. You're mean to me. I tend to do this, don't I? Right. Not God. He says, I love you with an unfailing love. And it is not dependent on whether you love me back or not. It's an unfailing love. It will never fail. It is totally unconditional. Boy, it's pretty powerful to the married families that are here, the married couples that are here. This is that agape type of love, that love of volitional choice. I choose to love you whether you are loving or not and whether you love me back or not. That's the marital context is the use often of that word, that agape. We agape our spouse. We love them with that unconditional love. Lord, help me to love my spouse like you love us, may it be an unfailing love of choice where I love them and I see them for who they are. This is how we adore Him in our prayers. As we're praying and talking to Him, as we're walking and talking to Him, as we're driving, I hope, with your eyes wide open and praying to Him, you're just adoring Him and thanking Him and blessing Him and honoring Him. And Nehemiah gives us three for starters for the fact that He is so great, for the fact that He is so awe-inspiring, and for the fact that His love for us never, ever fails. But look what happens in this prayer. 
Because often when we really get our heart and mind to see God for who He is, we see ourselves for who we are. And look what happens. His adoration gives way to the second component of powerful praying, and it's to the wonderful joy of confession. O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps His covenant of unfailing love with those who love Him and obey His commands. Listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people, Israel. I love that. Shows us the passion He had in His prayer. Night and day. We get that from the psalmist David. Oh, how I love thy law, Psalm 119. It is my meditation all the day. Here we're being invited into that conversational, all throughout the day and night relationship and discussion with our God. He speaks to us through His Word. We have the joy of speaking back to Him through prayer. He invites us into that incredible conversation. That's all prayer is. An invitation to have a conversation with God. Night and day, Nehemiah says, he was so gripped by the fact that things, verse 3, were not going well. That he mourns and he weeps and he sits down and he fasts and he prays. And his prayer is such a pattern for us. For it rests in the adoring absolute joy of who God is and then it gives way to the fact that he needs to do some confession. Watch this church. It's so powerful. Verse 6. Listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees and regulations that you've given us through your servant Moses. And he confesses, and I love the pronouns that are used there. He says, we and my and I. Our nation is not right. My family as a whole is not right. You know what, Lord? I am not right. And you have laid through the power of your Holy Spirit your finger on some areas in my life that I need to confess, which simply means to say the same thing as. I need to get it very clear that there's some areas in my life that are not right with you. We love the fact that this is not condemnation. Romans 5 is clear. There's therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ. This has nothing to do with relationship. This has everything to do with fellowship. Relationally speaking... Oh my goodness, positionally speaking, fully justified, just as if we had never sinned. We have believed and received the joy of that in Christ. But even though positionally it's just as if we've never sinned, we understand in our sanctification that practically there's still some work to be done. And there's some things to confess and there's some growth that needs to happen. Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3, there's some putting off and putting on that needs to to be happening and occurring in our life. And we have to have times of confession where we say this choice, this thought, these actions, this part of my life is not right. And God has touched my heart, not condemning me, but convicting me of sin and of righteousness. Son, daughter, don't go this way. Go this way so that you can have all that I have planned and promised for you. And when we have chosen to go our own way, we have to confess it. We have to say the same thing as. Nehemiah didn't even know that 1 John 1, 9 was going to exist. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse us from our sins. And he keeps on cleansing us. We love that linear tense there. 
He keeps on. It's like a line across the chalkboard. He just keeps on cleansing us because we have to keep on confessing. And we're working out our practical sanctification. And we're becoming less like that person we were before we were saved. And every day we're becoming more like Christ. Confession is one of those important steps. And he says, confess. Nehemiah, I love it. He says, we've sinned. We've disobeyed you. We, my, I. What's in this prayer, Pastor Mike? Well, it all starts with adoration. Adoring the greatness of God for who He is and what He has done. What's in this prayer, Pastor Mike, regarding our practical day-in and day-out sanctification? You know what? There's, There's confession here. He's showing us a pattern of bringing our disobedience to God and allowing Him to love us and to correct us and to chasten us and to see that disobedience grow to obedience. And then you know what we come to finally? Well, really here, we have verses 8, 9, and 10, which is almost like a little parenthesis. It's almost like a little little side note as, as he's praying this prayer and he's talking about the unfailing love of God. Look what he says in verse 8. Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter. And I love that. Please remember like God needs to remember what he said to Moses. I think this is really Nehemiah that needs to remember. Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I've chosen for my name to be honored. The people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. Now comes thirdly the supplication. O oh Lord, three things he asked for. Number one, please hear my prayer. Please hear me, Lord. Know your servant is serious. How serious was he? I sat down, I wept, I mourned, I fasted, I prayed. From fall to spring, he pressed in. He knew that answers and healing takes time. He knew that God could take this mess and turn it into a message. He knew that Jerusalem could be renewed. He knew that hearts could be renewed. And he adored God for what he could do and for what he has done. And he confessed his sin. Those areas that the Holy Spirit had just touched his heart that needed to be corrected. And he brought his supplications or his request. Oh, Lord, number one, hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those who delight in honoring you. What a great phrase. I think I'd take that phrase and pray it over my children every day and my grandchildren. What a phrase to pray over your children and grandchildren every day. May they delight to honor you. Mention your children by name this week. You call their name before the God of heaven and say, Lord, my prayer is their, as their dad, as their mom, as their grandpa and grandma, is this, that those names that I just called, they would delight to honor your name. I love that phrase. Look what he says, number two. Grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Lord, give me favor. Give me favor with people with whom, with whom I need to have favor. May they tell somebody else no so they can tell me yes. 
And I can just praise you because we'll know all along there was absolutely no logical reason for that. We didn't do it. God did it. To Him be the glory. Give me favor in my workplace. Give me favor with my clients. Give me favor in my family. Give me favor with that neighbor with whom we have a difficulty. That, Lord, we could resolve this and we could get on to bigger issues of the spirit and of the heart. And I could be used to press your kingdom forward in this world. Oh, this is so good. Lord, give me favor. My daughter is working her way into medical school and she's got a number of applications in. And so many wonderful Doctors here at Northwest Hills have been such great mentors to her. And, and she's in a zone right now where, where all of the work is done of applying. And it's a, it's a book worth of work. And she's not gotten yeses. She's not gotten no's. She's just getting a lot of weight. It's interesting. That, in some ways, is the hardest answer of all. And she was pretty squirrely over the Christmas break about this waiting and so we talked a little bit one day over some coffee about praying for God to grant you favor with those that are looking at these applications. That if that's where you're supposed to be within the will of God, you would not want to be anywhere that would not be His will for you. But if that's where you're supposed to be within the will of God, that God would give you favor and He would move you along down that track. Just believe God can do that. All a part of His plan and will being revealed to our hearts and minds and lives. Lord, hear my prayer. Lord, grant me favor. And I love this. Lord, put it into the king's heart to be kind to me. I love that request. I think I'm going to pray that tomorrow morning. Lord, as I go through my week, would you please help people to be kind to me? That's a great request. Who here wants to join me in praying that tomorrow morning? Lord, just help people to be kind to me this week. Because it's like the second full week of January, and I'm already feeling like the joy of the holidays, like slip, slips, slip, slide in away. It's leaving all the joy and the rest and the cookies and the presents is gone. And Lord, I need people to be kind to me. I love that request. Remember, we just read it in chapter 2. Watch. King. And he's going to make the biggest ask of his life. Pastor Mike, what does this have to do with my life? Let me ask you these three questions and then we're done. When was the last time you took time in your prayer time to just adore the greatness of who God is and all that he has done? Would we consider even having a day a week where we don't even make supplications or requests, but we take the time that we have with our God, our quiet time, our devotions, our our God and I time, when we just spend time with Him, and maybe on Wednesday all we do on that day is simply adore Him for who He is and all that He has done. I promise you, you could fill the whole day talking about how great He is, how awe-inspiring He is, for His unfailing love, for how He has provided and protected and blessed and guided. For those 11th hours where you thought there was no hope and hope rushed in. When was the last time you just adored God in your prayers? Number two, what do you need to confess? 
In fact, right in this message, the Holy Spirit touched something on your heart. An addiction, an issue, a problem, a lie, a dishonesty. An area where your life's not right. Something that's being hid from a spouse. A plan that was set in place regarding your taxes that, truth is, it's just not right. And the Holy Spirit just touched your heart. There's therefore now no condemnation then there in Christ. Positionally, just as if you'd never sinned. Nothing you can do or not do to make Him love you more or make you love Him less. But nevertheless, you are in a process of day-by-day progressive being set apart, less like the person you were before you were saved, more like the person you are now in Christ. And to further reflect that image, there's work to be done. And, and He's laid his, era, his finger on an area of your life that just needs to be confessed. What do you need to confess? You say, Pastor Mike, you go first. Are the things I need to confess? You bet. I've been honest with you. I've been authentic with you. How many times have I said, I think it's one of the great values. It's almost like an add-on mix-in value to the Lord's table where you sit and you hold that bread, you hold that cup. And you know what the Bible says? Let a man what? You know it, church. Let a man, you know it, himself. And I've sat there holding that bread and cup and the Holy Spirit has touched my heart with something. And before I could partake of those elements, lest I partake unworthily, I had to bow my head and say, Father, forgive me. I was harsh. I didn't speak the whole truth. I, Father, forgive me. I sinned against you and I, I ask your forgiveness. And I'm so thankful that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just and you keep on cleansing us from all unrighteousness. And then thirdly, what do you need? What do you need? What's your request? Nehemiah needed God to hear him. He needed favor. And he needed the king to be kind. Super practical. What do you need? I want to just bless you today. I want to empower you today to ask Him. Do you know how many times in the Scripture we are invited to ask? It is breathtakingly significant. To ask, to knock, to knock, to ask, to ask. What what son who asked the Father for bread would give him a stone? Seek and you ask and the door will be opened unto you. Ask, ask, ask. What do you need? What request would you be willing to make within the will of God for Him to work mightily in your life? What door needs to open? What movement needs to occur at your workplace? What answer for your heart? What miracle in your marriage? What chain to be broken off of an adult son or daughter? Cast all your cares upon Him. I promise you this. He cares for you more than you could ever imagine. And in this amazing prayer, Nehemiah shows us the three components of powerful praying. When we adore the greatness of our God, when we are open about what's going on in our heart, in honesty, and when we bring our requests and humbly ask for them to be answered within God's perfect will and plan for our lives. Amazing things happen. Movements occur. Shifts are created. And we're going to watch it playing out in HD quality 
in Nehemiah chapter 2. I hope you'll come back and watch the story continue. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. And I pray you'll speak it deeply to our hearts today that we'll forever know the joy of talking and walking with you in this incredible offer of a conversation called prayer. Thanks for showing us what some of the components should be. Help us to make our praying biblical and in alignment with your will. And Lord, we're thankful that when we're so overwhelmed that we don't even know what to say or don't even have words, that the Holy Spirit takes those those feeble utterings right to your throne. How good you are, God. That when we don't even know what to pray about or pray for, that, that you shepherd our heart to your throne. You're so awesome. And we love you and thank you for who you are and all you've done and all you're doing. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.